Okay, everybody. My name is Adam Draycott, and you're watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church. Uh, this has been prepared for the 14th of November, 2021. Our sentence of scripture comes from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Thus says the Lord, I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Let's pray. Father of all that is good, keep us faithful in serving you. For to serve you is our lasting joy. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.
As we come to the ministry of God's Word, our Bible readings today are Leviticus chapter 11, verses 4 to 8, Psalm 117, and Romans chapter 14, verses 13 to 23. Please make sure that you take some time to read through, particularly the Romans passage, that is our preaching passage Read it out loud, uh, whomever you're with, and uh, read it through quietly. That'll be an enormous help and a, and a good way to prepare for our time together in a moment. Let's pray. Loving Father, as we come to your word, we ask for your help. Teach us, instruct us, guide us, grow us in Christ Jesus, uh, that we might love you and love one another, all to your glory and praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who likes being tripped up? I remember running a youth group at Canada and uh, there's a game going on and uh, a huddled mass of teenagers uh, in the hall, all just jostling uh, for this one sack. And uh, there were two teams and you had to get the sack to the other end of the hall. That was the only rule. So everything was on. It was fierce. It was utter carnage. And, um, you know, I, I reflect on that. And there was a good reason I was standing on the sidelines. The other reason was I was talking to one of the youth group girls, Nancy. We're having a nice, polite conversation. And uh, next minute, we're standing upright. The next... We've been wiped out. We've been skittled uh, by this mass of 16-year-old boys who have completely cleaned us up. Uh, the obstacle came toward us and it bowled us both over. I, I remember being airborne and then I remember being flat on my back on the floor. Anyway, do you have a youth group memory like that? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Sunday school? Is it just me or even at school, was there always that one kid when you're trying to stand in line? The one kid that was always trying to trip everybody else up uh, just for a laugh. Down they go. Were you that kind of kid causing somebody to misstep? Does anyone remember that? No? Well, okay, I don't remember it either. Uh, we'll move on. Here, the Roman Christians are to make every effort not to cause one another to stumble. Stumbling is a thing in Romans. Have we seen stumbling before? And the answer is yes. People kick their toe. They got a foot injury in chapter 9, verse 33. When you dip back there, you'll, you might remember that the Jews stumbled at God's way of making people righteous. They stumbled over Christ, the rock, the cornerstone. And that was a source of great grief for Paul. 
And so when we come here to chapter 14, it's not like people never stumble. They do. But if people do stumble, we must make sure it is not over non-issues, disputable matters, but only ever over the indisputable Christ of the gospel. It's an encouragement. Keep the main thing the main thing. We are to contend for the gospel, absolutely. But here... The stumbling is not on account of the gospel per se. The stumbling is not on account of any salvation issue. It's not even on account of any moral issue. It's it's significantly less than those things, yet people are going down in distress. So seriously, what's the go with that? That's, That's what Paul is addressing. Now, last week we met the strong and the weak. The strong know their freedoms. They've got the scriptures. They're a bit, they're confident. They're sure. And they should be strong enough in faith to be mature. To change their actions, uh, especially if it's going to potentially harm another believer. The strong should be good for that. The weak Well, they reckon the strong are out of control. They're way too free with their liberties. They've got no self-control. They're too lax. They must only be half-hearted about this Christianity stuff. And can you imagine the strong in response to the issues that Paul talks about? They're like, well, have have the weak never read Mark's Gospel, chapter 7? Have they not? Don't they even know that Jesus declared all foods clean? Seriously, the weak, they just need to get over it and get with the program. Can you hear that? And so it's we're revisiting that so that we can see how easy it is for fellow believers to just write one another off when other Christians don't think like we do. We'll be tempted to criticise those who think and act differently to us. And we'll be tempted to presume our position is the right one. How can it not be? Paul is like a teacher uh, standing at the front of the line of its students and telling his students, cut it out. Stop tripping others up. Why? Chapter 13, verse 8 to verse 10. Love does no harm to neighbor. Or chapter 13, verse 11. The day of salvation nears. It's nearer now, nearer today. Jesus is coming back to judge. And this idea of love and judgment is unpacked further here for us in chapter 14. So pick it up at verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Do you remember verse 3 of chapter 14? Stop passing judgment. Or can you cast your eye to verse 4? Who are you to judge? Or verse 10? Who are you, why do you judge? Verse 13 now? Stop passing judgment. Stop being self-righteous. So again, we need to be careful about the non-issues, the disputable matters. 
Remember, a disputable matter is not a salvation issue. It's not even a moral one. It's not a gospel issue. It's significantly less. And last week we considered some cases. For example, are certain days of the year or one day of the year more holy than other days? We open up our Bibles. Chapter 14, verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced of their own mind. Just, just work it out. Or what can a Christian eat in terms of food? Look at verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And on it goes. There's somebody that eats vegetables only and there's another person who eats everything. Who is that person? Incidentally, as you read that, know that there is a Christian vegetarian movement and the logic goes that they believe that before the fall, humans were vegetarians. We should be vegetarians because it's a pre-fall condition. It's the ideal. That's the logic. It honours creation. That's the logic. Avoids animal purity. That's cruelty, rather. That's another logic. It's best for the environment. And so in the new creation, they believe we're all going to be vegetarians. Apparently there's a lot at stake. Or drinking, verse 21. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. See, it's very hard for some Christians to see other Christians drinking alcohol. Uh, they won't have it in their house. Um, I've shared this story before. Tanya and I have had experience with this. We were youth group leaders in a church of another denomination. Beautiful people, but the terms were very clear. Adam and Tanya... If you are going to do youth group, no alcohol is to be seen or consumed in your house while our kids are there. No problem. We did it. Uh, ministry in Central Australia. If you've ever been involved in ministry in Centr Central Australia, you won't even go there. You will not go near a pub lest you torpedo your witness and ministry. It's just not worth it. You don't go there. And so again, for some Christians, it is a real crisis of faith. It's very unsettling. They just can't, it's a hurdle, they just can't come at jumping. And these are real live issues with potential to cause division. Holidays, again, some struggle with Christians shopping on a Sunday. Um, I remember one Christmas morning in Barabbas, someone was out mowing their lawn in the middle of church. <laughs> like it's Christmas morning for crying out loud. Good Friday, do you get unsettled at the thought of shops opening up and trading on Good Friday or professional sport being played on Good Friday? Because some people have no, no issue with it. But why do I? Why does it make me a bit uptight? Verse 21 reminds us not just about a day or food. Verse 21, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine 
or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. You don't want to be tripping people up. And there are all sorts of other issues that might. Smoking. How do you go with Christians that might smoke? Is smoking really a matter of salvation? Do you believe that? Or tattoos. What if I've got a nice Bible verse uh, tattooed, stitched down into my forearm? Would that cause you to stumble? Or money? Or lifestyle choices that other people make? Do you find yourself tripping up and over when Christians get around in a flashy, flashy, luxurious car? Or the flash watch? Or the ultra, ultra expensive holiday? A holiday you could only dream of? Do other Christians stumble on account of how we spend our money or how we spend our time? And if, if, if they do, do we just assume it's their problem? How dare they judge? It's ridiculous. I'm not answerable to anybody. This is between me and God. And as you take that line of thought, is that really the renewed Christian mind operating there? Or are we to apply Romans 13 verse 10? That love does no harm to a neighbour. Love doesn't even offend someone else's sensibilities, whether those sensibilities are right or wrong. Love, see, love does no harm to a neighbour. Just wants good for our neighbour. Doesn't want them to fall or trip up. And so is mindful of that possibility. This passage speaks to our depth of commitment to one another, which shows, which exposes, which reveals our depth and commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ. We will all stand before the judgment seat. But I have a responsibility to make sure no one falls over on account of of the non-essentials. Will people trip over and fall on account of the gospel? Yeah, they will. Pride does that. But that cannot be the case for things that are disputable, the non-issues. Am I my brother's keeper at that point? My brother, a person of faith? Too right. Absolutely. So verse 14. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is. Paul's saying, I know I can eat what I like, but it does not mean that I will do what I like. And so if another Christian has a problem with Christians drinking alcohol or being rowdy down at the pub, then you don't go there if it's going to cause them to, to stumble. Even if I think it's entirely permissible, even if it's actually something I enjoy doing, a bit of quiet time, having a schooner at the pub with a footy on, even if I think that's okay, and I'm sure it's okay and that I have a freedom here, 
But I can't do that. I can't come at that if it's at the expense of love. I have a witness to my brother or my sister. And so I need to put love before that liberty. Even if I've thought about it theologically, even if I can justify some truth from the scriptures, I don't come at it because of verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat or because of whatever other freedom that you've exercised, you're no longer acting in love. See, love does not harm a neighbour. And so verse 15b, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. This is what's at stake. And so this is a big issue because if one's exercise of unbounded freedom leads to stumbling, verse 13, or obstacles, or distress, verse 15, or destruction, verse 21, or falling and condemning, verse 23, it's a big deal. We don't want it to be a big deal because we just want to do what we want to do. We need to see that we must have regard for one another. We have regard for one another because Christ died for us, for every person in our church family. And because Christ died for us, there is no harm we should do to those for whom Christ died, especially when it comes to non-issues, issues that are supposed to be a non-issue. And so again, I don't get to say it's my life and I do what I like if it if it impacts someone else, then it's not just between me and God. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. Paul's saying if we don't act lovingly, then even the good things we do will be viewed as evil. We have a witness to one another. And so the encouragement is to not forfeit peace and joy among us for the sake of things that really just amount to cultural baggage or preferences. Schooling, politics, parenting styles, church preferences, how we do sacraments or music or what the minister wears. The list can go on. It's not what the kingdom of God is about. Paul's saying, don't make your personal hang-ups that are actually small and not, not issues of the gospel, don't make them somebody else's. Don't sear someone else's conscience. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives uh, human approval. On the things that are disputable, this is what we are to pursue. Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. All right, this is, let me qualify this. This is not peace at any price. We must speak out against false teaching. Yep. We must contend about doctrinal error. Yep, because chapter 16 is coming. Yep, 
This is seeking peace and mutual edification and making every effort. This is about the non-essentials. That we'll do everything we can to foster peace and to build up Christians to be big enough to go, you know what, in the scheme of things, it's going to move on. A great passage for a pastor, I've got to say. Verse 22, don't spend your life uh, telling others your position on these secondary issues. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and, and God. <laughs> I might try that one day, pull out that verse for somebody. I'll see how it goes. I don't need to hear this. It's between you and God. It's not a gospel issue. How would that wash? I don't know. I'll try it. They're saying don't make a non-issue a big issue for people. That includes your minister, all right? Stop tripping people up lest you condemn yourself. Not because you got the issue wrong, but because you've broken the law of love. That's the thing. You don't want to break the law of love and do harm. Now, sometimes I read this text, I think politics comes to mind. Everybody gets mouthy about politics. It's tragic when the church is parochial about one side of politics to the point that it disrupts fellowship. And even American politics, of all things, has touched fellowship here at Inverell. I just find it incredible. The encouragement is to be the stronger brother or sister, to be the grown-up, if you like. If it's a stumbling block, you don't even go there. Don't even go there. <laughs> Keep the main thing the main thing. Let's rejoice in the unity that we have in Jesus and not let's not create these differences. Make allegiances according to political divides. Verse 22b, blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. So you, you might uh, be theologically right. But to the weaker brother, it's still an obstacle. You might be theologically right, but the obstacle is too high for them to jump. They're not there. They're not ready. There's no way they're going to clear it. You're asking them to jump this big hurdle over something that's not an issue. It's a disputable matter. And when they fail to make the jump, when they stumble at the... The launch, what, who's that on? That's on you. Because you took them there and they weren't up for it. You broke the law of love. It's not about the issue. It's about the law of love. You're supposed to be the strong one. Verse 23. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Acting contrary to one's Biblically informed conscience, faith is always a bad idea. Don't ever do it. So in the gospel, we're free. Hallelujah. We have liberty. But liberty must be exercised recognizing the deep value and preciousness of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's this chapter. And because our gospel freedom is precious, you don't want to give the gospel a bad name. Our witness to one another is precious. It's important. And so don't sweat the small stuff. 
life is about building up, not destroying. And so these are helpful verses, absolutely, especially for conservative, evangelical, Bible-loving Christians. Because we value the truth. And we contend for the truth. The truth is important. We, are, we will protest about theological matters. It's in our DNA. We're not afraid of combat. Words are our weapon. We wield them. But there's a danger that we enjoy being right a little too much, as if being right is all there is. And Paul is telling us, you might be right, but you've got to love. Loving is more important. You don't have to contend every single battlefront, Adam. You, you contend for the gospel, yeah. You contend for moral issues, absolutely. But we don't get to be theological bullies. We don't have to hold tightly to absolutely everything. Not every hill is a hill to die on. On the non-essentials, have regard to where people are at. Don't make your non-essential hang-ups a thing for others. If you have a choice between being right and being kind, choose kind. That's this chapter. The non-issues that we have are not the ground of our fellowship. The ground of our fellowship is the cross. And it's at the cross that God demonstrates his love and kindness to us. Where the barrier of sin is gone. The obstacles are cleared away. That temple curtain torn into access to the throne of grace. There are terms of friendship and relationship and acceptance before God. The blood of Jesus. And it applies to our brothers and sisters as well. We are the people for whom Christ died. Verse 7. Let me read it again as we close. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord Remember, the Lord has a body. And if we die, we die for the Lord. And so whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And because we belong to the Lord, we belong to one another. Amen.